12. Now, before you are concerned that we're going back into the book of Jeremiah, after spending years in the book of Jeremiah, we are not going back in the book of Jeremiah. This is kind of what we're doing here tonight, and this is probably the last one we're going to do like this. If you remember correctly, when we finished the book of Jeremiah back in July, I said it was going to take a few weeks and kind of do some, I don't want to call them topical messages, but do messages that we don't get a chance to do. Neat little passages of scripture that we're not going to get to in a while, and it's fun to do these little studies. And that's what I want to do here. And the verse that we're going to start off with, it's not a verse out of Jeremiah. It's actually a study in the life of David. But I've got to give you a background to this. As I've shared with you many times before, anytime I teach out here, whatever the lesson is from Sunday or Wednesday, I know I have to live the lesson before it or after it. That's just the way it kind of works. Last week's lesson on Wednesday, we talked about, you know, Elisha and his ministry. And we talked about how... His life was a ministry, and a ministry even unto his death. And we went and we talked about Elijah a little bit. And we talked about how Elijah wanted to hide in the cave, if you remember correctly. Well, I had my moment this week where I wanted to hide in the cave. And I was having this little, what I like to call a little bit of a blue funk type moment. The woe is me. You know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago on the different months and months I like and months I don't like. And I said I'm not a big fan of August. School starting, transitioning here. And it's just kind of one of those little moments of like I wasn't having the joy of the Lord like I should. So long story short, somebody called me up. And they called me up. They were going through a tough time. And so I'm kind of talking to them. And next thing I know, this person shares the scripture, how Jeremiah. And I love this passage in Jeremiah 12, which we're going to get to. And so they're sharing it with me because what happened is they shared it with somebody else. So follow the logic here. The person that was having a tough time calls me. As they're having a tough time, they call me asking me to help them. They share a verse that they shared with somebody else to help somebody else who was going through a tough time. They felt convicted when they read that verse. So they're telling me how they feel convicted that they read the verse and shared it with somebody else. And as they're telling me, I feel convicted as the person that needed ministering to is calling me. If you follow that circle, it's more like a figure eight. Basically, the Holy Spirit's good. As he is sharing a verse that he shared with somebody else that ministered to him, I heard it. That's exactly what I needed to hear, Lord. Exactly what I need to hear. And here's the verse. It's Jeremiah 12, verse 5. It says, If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with the horses? If in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? Now, I love this passage. That's pretty simple. Basically, if you can't keep up with the footmen, how are you supposed to keep up with the horses? That's what it's basically saying. As a Christian, if you can't handle the little daily stresses of life, how are you going to handle the big problems when they come? If as a Christian, you can't handle the little responsible spiritual responsibilities that God gives you, how are you going to handle the big spiritual responsibilities? Basically, if you can't prove yourself in the little things, how are you going to handle the big things? Now, for me, it was a conviction of, okay, James, you can't handle August. You can't handle school starting. You can't handle a transition into fall. Then how are you going to handle this or that? And it's like, okay, God, I need to get out of the cave of my little depression and discouragement, whatever you want to call it. Now, the problem is some of us hear this verse and they say, well, the answer is simple. I just won't run with the horses. That's not the point. I've had people tell me this before. Well, I've tried reading the Bible and I just didn't get it, so I quit reading. That doesn't make any sense. I served at church and it didn't go real well. I just told myself I'm not going to serve again. I tried sharing Christ with somebody one time and it really went downhill quick. I'm not going to do that again. They're missing the point. Instead of saying, I give up, I'm supposed to stop and say, Lord, I want to run with the horses. I want to go deeper in my walk and relationship with Christ. 
And, and Dawn and I were just talking about this the other day, this desire to, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better pastor. I don't want to compromise where I'm at, and I don't want to be the same old, same old. I want to go deeper. With that mindset, I was thinking, okay, Lord, who's somebody that went deeper? And I thought, David, that's what I want to talk about. So with that introduction, can you go to 1 Samuel 12, please? 1 Samuel chapter 12. Let's talk about David. David sure had his huge successes in life. David also sure had his huge failures. 1 Samuel chapter 12 is probably David's greatest success. Actually, excuse me, it's uh, 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. David and Goliath here. Now, real quick background. I think we know the story of David and Goliath. David is a young boy at this time. He's the shepherd boy. Goliath is the champion of the Philistines. We don't know for sure how tall. A lot of estimates have him at about nine, nine and a half feet tall. An amazing warrior. And it's this amazing picture. We know this. Goliath is this huge, undefeatable force. David is this weakling that comes in the power of God and defeats Goliath. It's, it's amazing. But look at David's attitude. When David first comes up and says, I want to do this, I want to take on Goliath, what's the response? Verse 32, David said to Saul, Saul's king of Israel at the time, saying, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I don't know, for you that have kids, does any of your kids just have what I call the heart of a lion? I mean, they just, nothing intimidates them in any way. Ken and our third born are not afraid. Anything you need to do, like when we get groceries and we get the 50-pound bag of dog food, Kenan, who doesn't even weigh 50 pounds, is out there trying to throw that thing over his shoulder. He's our little David. He says, fine, you got a giant? I'll take him on. David, I'll, I'll take him on. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep... Excuse me, verse 33, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Now stop right there after the end of verse 33. What are you going to do in that situation? If you're a David, you come back and you say verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. I didn't kill it from a distance. I grabbed that thing by the beard. I killed it. Now, here's the thing. If you're a David, you respond like that in verses 34 and 35. If you're not a David and someone comes up to you in verse 33 and says, you're not able to do this, okay, I guess you're right, you're wrong. Okay, I'm sorry. Why did I even bring it up? That was really dumb of me for even to bring it up. Wait a second. What happened to this I want to run with the horses thing? What, what happened to that? What happened when you feel this burden on the Lord to say, I'm going to go witness to that coworker today? And you get to work and you see that coworker. oh, not today, probably not today. Today's not a good day. I can just tell. What happened to David? Go grab that person by the beard, not literally, and witness to him. What, what happened when you say, you know what, there's that, someone mentioned at church that we need someone to leave this up. Lord, I think I can do that. I'm going to go do that. No, I probably can't do that. How many times have we talked us out of ourselves out of God's will? How many times have we talked ourselves out of a spiritual blessing? And it's not even that. What about the other side? Something that's not right. Well, I know they want me to do that, and I know that's not right, and I know it's biblically wrong, so I'm not going to do it anymore, and I'm going to go tell them, and then I go see them, and I'm just going to say, it's okay. 
See, it's not so much the spiritual blessing, but how many times do we even compromise in sin? When we know what we're doing is not right, but yet we're not strong enough to say it's wrong. How many times do we do that? David says, no. I'm going to attack the lion, I'm going to attack the bear, and I'm going to kill it. I'm going to witness that coworker. I'm going to lead that ministry through the power of God. I'm going to say no to that sin. I'm going to change that lifestyle action that's sinful and wrong. What happened to that? So David goes up against Goliath. Verse 49. Actually, verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David runs to the battle. He's ready. Can you imagine if you'd get up every day running to the battle? Lord, bring a non-believer into my life so that I could be a light and a witness to him. Lord, I can't wait to get to the table to do devotions this morning just to see what you have in store. What would happen if we'd run to the battle? Or what would happen if we'd run to fix those issues in life? I'm not going to sit anymore and allow this sin to fester in my life. I'm going to take care of it today, right here, right now. My life's going to be different. David runs to the battle. Verse uh, 49, then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank onto his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David reigned and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the thing I like about David, it's not enough to knock the giant down. Let's jump on top of the giant and behead him. How many times do we do that in our own Christian walk? I knock the sin down. I walk in victory, but I never behead that sin. I never fully take care of the problem. Okay, I'm never going to do that again. Okay, well, I'm not going to do it as much as I used to. Let's kill the giant. Now, some commentators believe that the stone just stunned Goliath, knocked him down, and it was the beheading that actually killed him. And I sometimes wonder what that spiritually. We have a moment of victory, the giant's knocked down, and then we just say it's over. Giants can get back up. Sin can get back up. You need to take the sword out, and you need to cut it off. Just completely, utterly done. Just completely, utterly done. I remember years ago, there was a guy out here that had a problem with drinking. He got himself into a lot of problems with it. And had a lot of problems. And so we had to step in and, and try to help out a little bit. And lost his license, lost a lot of privileges. So we had to take him some places. And I remember I was driving him and he talked about wanting things to be different. That he, he was ready for it to be done. I thought, that's great, that's wonderful. So we drove, took care of the things that needed to be taken care of. We get back to his house and dropped him off. And I had this moment and I said, do you really want things to be different? He said, yeah. He said, I'm ready to be done. I said, do you have any alcohol in the house? He goes, yeah. I said, why don't you go get rid of it? He goes, I will. I'm, I'm going to do that later on today. And I said, let's go do it right now. So we both walked into the house together and grabbed the stuff and threw it away. And it's one of those things where, okay, you've got to kill the giant. I, I, I don't know how many times I've had, and it's the classic saying of, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There's been a lot of times where I've knocked a lot of giants down in my spiritual life. And they may have stayed knocked down for a couple of days, weeks, even months. But until you knock the head off, that thing just keeps coming back up. For you that are married, how many times have you had a little spit with your spouse? Okay, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to argue like that anymore. The giant's knocked down for a couple days, a couple weeks, and then it starts popping back up. I'm not going to respond that way to the coworker. I'm not going to give in to that sin. We're not going to do this anymore. 
you got to take the head off. And what you see with David is you see this man of victory. You see this man taking the beard and killing it. And you see the man jumping on the giant and taking off his head. You see a man who's not afraid to run with the horses. That says, this is what I want to do through the power and might of God. Now that's the first part. We've got to get to the second part here in a second. But does anybody have any quick questions, comments of anything we covered here thus far? Of David being this man that just wants to run with the horses and this man of victory and this man of strength and power here. Alrighty. Let's stay in David's life. Jump ahead. Can you go to 1 Samuel, please, 22? 1 Samuel 22. Here's the thing. You want to be a man or woman of God. You want to be killing giants. You're grabbing lions by the beard. And you're saying things are going to be different. Well, what happens when things are going to be different? As soon as you decide to make changes, guess what? It doesn't go the way you think. As soon as you say, I'm going to go to work and I'm not going to act like everybody else. I'll be a light and a witness. Boy, it's difficult to do that. As soon as you decide in your personal relationships with others, we're not going to compromise on sin. Boy, it's hard. As soon as you say, I'm not going to look at those things online. I'm not going to act that way. I'm not going to do this or that. It's difficult. David decides to become this wonderful man of God. And he is a wonderful man of God here at the beginning. And guess what? Saul hates it. So Saul decides he wants to kill David. So here's David, giant killer, anointed king of Israel. Guess what happens to David? 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and his father's house heard it, they all went down there to him. David is now forced to hide in a cave. Have you ever been that way spiritually? You envisioned yourself leading Bible studies, leading people to Christ, living this pure life, making good choices and decisions, reading your Bible every day, and you're going to have all these verses memorized and marked and underlined, and next thing you know, you're living in a cave. See, that's what I felt like here. Okay, Lord, I'm just going to keep moving forward here in the church and in ministry and in life, and next thing you know, I really just want to go hide in the cave for a while. Why do you want to hide in the cave? Because as soon as you move forward... People are going to come against you. But here's the neat thing. You may have come in here tonight, and you may be in a very difficult spot, and you may be in a cave. And it's not a cave of discouragement or depression. It's just dark. It's wet. It's awful. You're just in a really tough time in life. Well, what do you do? Look at verse 1 again. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. You still can minister in those dark times of life. I don't know how many times somebody's called me up in a difficult time and I say something to the effect of, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to shine for Christ. The honest ones respond, I don't care about shining for Christ right now. The unhonest ones, boy, Pastor James, you're really right. I'm going to try to look at this from a good example. Okay, right. I, I appreciate you saying that. But the truth is, when we're in a dark times, we don't think about it. We just don't. Guess what David does? He's ministering to his family. And look at verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, so he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. David, in his dark time, instead of leading to depression and discouragement, he actually starts up this little church, if you will, of hundreds of losers. What a wonderful picture. You know the best way to minister to someone who doesn't have their life figured out? It's by you accepting the fact you don't have your life figured out. 
I tell you, one of the best things you can ever do is when someone contacts you and say, boy, I'm really struggling with things. Sometimes you say, you know what, I'm really struggling with some stuff too. Let's pray for each other. You encourage me, I encourage you. These are the scriptures I'm reading. You share with me what you're reading, and let's be there for each other. You know, sometimes I run into these pastors or spiritual leaders that always present themselves of having everything figured out, that they don't sin. And I just think, wow. I much better relate to someone who says, listen, I do the best I can, and I try to be a picture of Christ, but I also realize I have shortcomings too. David, this group was attracted to him. This group wanted to come and be around him. So who came, verse 2? People in distress, people in debt, everybody discontented. Let me ask you this. Are you a magnet to strange people? I find myself being a magnet to strange people. People I've never met start sharing intimate, personal details of their life to me in the strangest places, and I don't know why. Dawn sometimes will be in public, and she'll see me talking to someone. She'll be like, who's that? I say, I don't know. What were you talking to them about? I said, you really don't want to know. You don't. I remember distinctly one time I was called to go to a, a court. Somebody from church was in, in a situation, and I went to just go to support them. And I'm sitting there in court, and someone who else was called to court, was sitting beside me. Next thing I know, he's telling me his whole life story. I don't know him. And I sit here and I think, okay, and and there's a part of me as a human being that wants to inch away. But the other part of me says, well, wait a second, Lord, is this a divine appointment? I can look at those people and say, you know what? It sounds like your situation right now is tough. I'm going to pray for you. And I'll do that. Hey, can I pray for you? You know, sometimes I'll go through Walmart and the cashier will be like, I'm, I always try to be the first one to say hi. It's a little competition. So I want to say hi first. And I'll be like, hi, how are you doing? And if I get the little, mm, I don't know, gruff response, I'll be like, is everything okay? No, well, it's just kind of been a rough day, whatever. I say, hey, is there anything I can pray for? You know what? I'll be a magnet for the distressed, discontent, and the people in debt, and let's minister. That's what we're called to do. Problem is, when you're in your little cave, when I'm in my little cave, we don't think about other people. David here is on the run for his life. And he still says, I'm going to take care of these people. I'm going to minister to them. And we get a picture into David's mind here. This is what I want to finish with. Go to Psalm 142. If you remember correctly, a couple years ago, we did a little study on the Psalms of David. And what we did was, any psalm where we knew where it happened in David's life, we would go read the story in 1st or 2nd Samuel, and then go read it in Psalms. Psalm 142 is the psalm that David probably wrote while he was in the cave, on the run from Saul, ministering to people. What's going on in his mindset? Psalm 142. It says, A contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. Verse 1, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare before Him my trouble. What do you see right there, first off? When you're in the cave and it's dark and it's wet and it's awful, don't go whine and complain to all your friends. Take it to the Lord. I'm not saying you can't be honest with people. I'm not saying you can't ask for prayer. And I'm not saying you can't confide in people. But take it to the Lord. David cries out to the Lord. He pours his complaint out to the Lord because he's the one that can do something with it. Verse 3, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. And the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Have you ever been in that spot spiritually in your life? 
You're overwhelmed, verse 3. Verse 4, no one cares. No one understands. No one gets it. Look at verse 3. God knows your path. When you're in the cave, give it to the Lord. Verse 5, I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I am. Bring my soul out of prison that may I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. This is what's going on in David's heart. In the cave, on the run from Saul, his life in danger, surrounded by 400 people that are discontented, in debt, and in distress. David says, no one gets it, Lord. No one understands how I'm struggling. I give it to you. And I realize verse 5, 6, and 7, you're the only person that can get me through this. How many times in life have you got frustrated because your spouse, your kids, your parents, your friends, fill in the blank, no one gets it, no one understands, no one sees how difficult it is. God does. He's your refuge. He's your strength. Give it to Him. How many of us can say, verse 6, attend to my cry, I am brought very low. Boy, Lord, we have sometimes been brought very low. But what happens, verse 7, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. Lord, get me out of the cave. Why? So I can praise you. See, it's not get me out of the cave so that way my day just goes better. Lord, get me out of the cave so that way I can be a light and a witness for you and praise you. See, the righteous shall surround me. Make an impact. Make a difference. If you're struggling, and you know what? You've grown tired. You can't keep up with the footmen. You can't run with the horses. We can learn a lot from David. We can take down the giants through the power of God. We can behead them. We can grab those lions by the beard and kill it. But then we also realize there's going to be dark times, difficult times. And we're in the cave and we find ourselves surrounded by people in need. Lord, be my strength so that way I can be strength for other people. We can really learn a lot from this. What I wanted to finish here with tonight was communion. Because I think it's important on a time like this for all of us to go to the Lord. And this is what I want you to go with him on. There's a list of stuff. If you're in a dark time right now, now's your time to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need strength. Maybe you're the person surrounded by the 400 people that are discontented, distressed, and in debt. Lord, give me strength to minister to them. Maybe there is a giant in your life, and you're scared to death of it. Lord, help me to take it down in you, and not just knock it down, but to behead it. Maybe it's a giant of ministry where you say, I can't do this, Lord. I can't witness that person. I can't become that believer you called me to be. Maybe it's a giant of sin. Maybe there's something so glaringly wrong in your life, and you know it's wrong. You know that's not what God wants you to do. It's time to kill that giant and take care of it and do what's right in the eyes of God. That's the type of man or woman of God we want to be. We want to be David out there killing giants and lions through the power of the Lord and ministering as best as we can through His power, strength, and might. Let's get ready here for communion. As always with communion, I just want to share.